Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. This podcast features Econet News, Volume 25, Issue Number 12, December 21st, 2023. Flanagan's Net Positive, our first EV road trip. Our first EV road trip. I've been driving EVs for over six years but never dared venture out of range. But now we're gambling on Tesla's charger network. We're going all electric in Terry's Tesla to Vegas. It's only 233 miles from our home to the win. The Model Y's extended range is purported to be 330 miles. So no problem, right? The mountains are formidable. We climb out of the LA Valley floor, up from San Bernardino, up the Cajon Pass. I'm always struck by the scale and grandeur and majesty of nature that is so close to the madness of the urban sprawl of Los Angeles. The Tesla takes to the hills with vigor. The route is well-traveled with EVs and well-supported. Our dashboard screen shows all the Tesla chargers en route and recommends a charger for us in Baker. We accept. How impressive. And our navigated trip begins. But then we begin to notice the charge level dropping faster than it should, and it made us a bit nervous. We were supposed to have 15% of our charge remaining when we got to Baker, and this began dropping to 5%. For my gal that likes to refuel when the gas meter gets to a quarter tank, her engineering mind did not like the 5% reserve. And there we were, out in the wide open expanses of the California desert, with miles to go. One's mind wanders. What if we run out of charge? It's a long way from Barstow to Baker. Then we whiz by a huge and brand new Tesla charging station in Barstow and wonder if we'll regret passing it by. Baker was the plan, and it's where we recharge. Read, it's how far we make it before needing a charge. Warning, we think that the Model Y's actual range is more like 250 miles. The car may well get 330 when driving gently around one's neighborhood, but for our trip, the conditions were highway driving, a 4,000-foot elevation gain, and moderate air conditioning. In Baker, we pull up to a major car charging operation, complete with solar carports and 60 Tesla chargers. There are only five to six other cars there, lots of space for us. We see drivers milling about as they charge. It was a bit unnerving when the charging did not work. We panicked a bit as our dashboard presented an error message. Fortunately, a nearby driver told me that he'd seen another car try that charger and leave for another. Relieved, we followed suit and the next one was just fine. We get 100 miles of range, about 25 kilowatt hours in about 15 minutes. Nominal charging price, 37 cents per kilowatt hour. No charge for us as we're burning down Terry's 10,000 miles of free charging. I chat with an attendant, taking away the trash. He tells me that another 40 chargers are going in, and that I should see this place on weekends. Every spot is full, with a line of cars waiting impatiently, he says. Thank God it's Tuesday. We charge long enough to stroll over to the general store. We arrive in Vegas, with very little battery capacity remaining, 3% this time really too close for comfort for us newbies. We breathe a sigh of relief as we make it, and then again as the wind's valet nonchalantly offers to charge the car for us. Nice. 
On the way home, we refuel in Barstow at an odd set of aging chargers in the back of a sketchy shopping mall. The rate there is 38 cents per kilowatt hour. The setting is unappealing, and we make a note for next time to stop at the bank of new chargers at the Barstow outlets. Overall, we had a great time with our first EV road trip. We are impressed at how doable such a trip is, so much so that we have discussed letting go of our hybrid that we've been keeping for longer trips. Now longer trips seem possible in the EV, and we're planning a summer EV adventure to Yellowstone and then Banff in the Canadian Rockies. As this edition of Econet News will tell, the charging networks are opening up. We are on the path to ubiquitous EV charging throughout the country. Quote of the month. The U.S. Department of Energy reports that all of the lithium beneath the Salton Sea will enable the United States to meet or exceed global lithium demands for decades. Saluting Dubai and COP28. The beginning of the end of oil, a transition. Some call COP28 monumental. Others found it an exercise in frustration. At EcoMotion, we value each increment of progress. Thanks to those there for moving the ball down the field, for pushing the ball up the seemingly insurmountable mountain. Sure, there have been critics, but progress was made on funding the most threatened countries, working to curb lethal methane, and discussing and articulating publicly for the first time an era of no oil. We at EcoMotion deeply appreciate the passions, smarts, and efforts of the 70,000 strong from 200 plus countries that keep the focus on global climate protection. I hear that the next COP will be in Azerbaijan. EV charging highlights. President Biden's goal is for half of all vehicle sales to be EVs by 2030. That would be 7 million EVs a year. We're at about 1 million EVs per year right now. And two major things are happening. Many more EVs are now on the market. And charging networks are behind, but working hard to keep up with the explosive growth of EV use. While Tesla has been way out front on both scores, the competition is now engaged in making affordable EVs. Non-Tesla charging stations are behind, but catching up. Pilot Flying J The first 17 of Pilot Flying J and GM's network of EV chargers are now open. The company is planning a coast-to-coast network of 2,000 stations, GM announced. The partnership with Flying J and the fast-charging network EVgo last year. Starting in the spring of next year, GM vehicle owners will be able to reserve a charger ahead of time at the Pilot Flying J stations. So far, the network is made up of 17 charging stations in 13 states. The goal is to operate 200 by 2024. The charging stations will be managed by EVgo and will be located at Pilot Flying J truck stops. EVgo is following in Tesla's footsteps and building prefabricated models for its charging sites, cutting installation time in half and saving in construction costs. Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes-Benz is taking a two-pronged approach to charging. It will allow its vehicle drivers access to Tesla's network, and it will establish its own high-powered charging networks with more than 400 charging hubs 
including more than 2,500 high-powered chargers in North America by the end of the decade. Mercedes wants to create a best-in-class charging experience. These chargers will be universally open to electric vehicles from all brands. Inversely, Mercedes-Benz owners currently access more than 1.2 million charging points worldwide. But back to the first statement, in 2024, Mercedes-Benz EV drivers will be able to access the Tesla supercharger network of 12,000 chargers in North America. Mercedes-Benz drivers will see Tesla chargers show up on their dashboard screens. Furthermore, Mercedes-Benz will integrate the North America Charging Standard, NACS, in its EV lineup starting in 2025. Lucid's Range Exchange Take note that the Lucid Air Grand Touring claims a range of 500 miles. I test drove a Lucid Air in Phoenix in October and was terribly impressed. Talk about torque. And I'm no EV torque newbie. These are premium EVs made in Arizona. Cool stuff. Lucid now features Range Exchange, Wonderbox's bi-directional charging technology. Range Exchange allows energy from Lucid Air's battery pack to charge another vehicle with 24 to 40 miles of range per hour. Imagine, a Lucid with plenty of kilowatt hours on board can rescue a fellow EV. To do so, a Lucid owner simply attaches the new Lucid Range Exchange charging adapter to the charging cable and plugs directly into the receiving car. The transfer charges at a rate of up to 9.6 kilowatts. Who needs AAA? In related news, VW has announced that its all-electric ID family of vehicles will now offer bidirectional charging with vehicle-to-home V2H functionality. Virtual Power Plant Strategies Jiggershaw heads up the U.S. DOE's Loan Programs Office, the LPO. It has a mixed reputation. Yes, the LPO enabled Elon Musk to successfully launch Tesla, and yes, there have been some failed ventures. That's to be expected of a government program set up to support the market in ways that private money is not ready to do, to do so. Now the LPO, under Shaw's direction, is promoting virtual power plants, VPPs. Again, he's under some fire, but clear in his vision. Instead of building additional power plants to meet growing peak demand, virtual power plants are being built which pool together resources throughout the community. VPPs are based on aggregating decentralized resources, like 200 8KW solar systems that represent 1,600 kilowatts of solar capacity, or 500 Tesla power walls, all under utility control. Distributed energy resources can provide aggregated capacity during peak demands, and can also be designed and wired to serve energy resilience to host sites during grid outages. Shaw sees VPPs as a new and viable utility strategy, and one that he urges the solar industry to adopt. Why? He notes that the days of net energy metering are numbered. The writing is on the wall. Now the solar industry and other DERs, distributed energy resources, need to be strategic and find new forms of compensation. Instead of utility incentives and the value of net energy metering, Investors in these technologies can be compensated by promoting and participating in VPPs. Shaw says that utilities are open to VPPs, 
He says that utilities are bearing the hatchet when it comes to VPPs. They have battled the solar industry, but now have to address the huge loads that will be created by electrifying buildings and mobility. VPPs are a means to reliably cut peak power. VPPs integrate a wide variety of technologies, from efficiency and demand response to solar, storage, electric vehicles, smart thermostats, water heaters, and even industrial processes. VPPs allow utilities to buy power from established VPPs that aggregate capacity. We are witnessing a shift where utilities are redirecting their attention from peaker plants to VPPs. Some states have backed this with favorable market mechanisms. The Department of Energy released a report in September of 2023 titled Pathways to Commercial Liftoff, Virtual Power Plants. It prevents the need for 80 to 160 gigawatts of VPPs by 2030. Large-scale deployment of VPPs could help address demand increases and rising peaks at lower cost than conventional resources. The report finds that VPPs are concentrated in states with favorable policies and regulatory mechanisms, states that enable sales to utilities for flexible demand services in retail and wholesale markets. The leading states are California, Massachusetts, New York, North Carolina, and Texas. In California, VPPs are supported by the demand response auction mechanism, where VPPs can sell DR to utilities, the emergency load reduction program, the ELRP, that pays customers for grid services during peak periods, the self-generation incentive program, SGIP, the distributed investment deferral framework, which identifies behind-the-meter services to defer the need for grid upgrades, and the CAISO policy that allows full participation for VPPs in the wholesale markets. It's billed as the largest U.S. government commitment to solar power. To support the rise of VPPs, on September 28, 2023, the LPO announced a conditional commitment to Sunova Energy Corporation's Project Hestia, for an up to $3 billion partial loan guarantee. The loan guarantee is designed to make DERs, including solar, storage, and virtual power plant-ready software, available to more American homeowners. It will enable the provision of clean energy system loans for up to 115,000 homeowners with a special focus on disadvantaged communities. Irrigation Canal Solar the Gila River Indian community announced that it has broken ground on a solar array that will cover a stretch of the irrigation canal south of Phoenix, providing power and cutting down on water losses through evaporation. The first phase of the project will be a 1,000-foot stretch of the canal that is expected to be complete by 2025. Its cost is $6.744 million, supported by a $517,000 grant from the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. Earlier this year, a coalition of 125 groups urged the Department of Interior and the Bureau of Reclamation to evaluate the efficacy of solar canals. The request highlighted the opportunity to cover 8,000 miles of open-air canals, enough for 25 gigawatts of power, and, the, and reducing evaporation by 63 billion gallons of water each year equivalent to the annual water use of 2 million people. Salton Sea Lithium 
A new study finds that there is enough lithium beneath the Salton Sea in California to provide for the batteries of 375 million electric vehicles. No one has known how much white gold was at the lake. The new study quantifies a huge underground reserve of scorching hot brine located underneath the lake bed. It is one of the largest lithium deposits in the world. The study was conducted by researchers from the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory of the U.S. DOE. It finds that the reserve can support the production of 3,400 kilotons of lithium, enough for 375 million EVs. There are now 2.4 million registered EVs in the United States. This number is expected to grow dramatically, and there have been concerns about a shortage of lithium by 2025. The report puts those concerns in a cautiously optimistic perspective. The current condition of the Salton Sea is a sorry state. It's the result of environmental disaster, droughts, heat waves, and agricultural practices. These have caused its water to recede, forming a dry, barren lake bed. The lake suffered massive die-offs of fish from the high salinity, and areas of the dry lake bed are whipped up by the wind, causing particulate air pollution in the Coachella Valley. Governor Newsom has called the Salton Sea the Saudi Arabia of lithium. Michael McKibben, geochemistry professor and one of the study's authors, stated that this could make the U.S. completely self-sufficient in lithium, so we're no longer depending on importing it. The challenge, however, is huge. It is how to extract lithium from the geothermal brine underneath the lake. The LA Times has reported on the challenge of extraction, which no one has achieved cost-effectively or in an environmentally friendly way. In the past years, the CEC has awarded grants to Berkshire Hathaway Energy, as well as controlled thermal resources, to develop extraction techniques there. GM and Stellantis are working on partnerships with CTR to secure the lithium there. Instead of open-pit drilling and creating huge evaporation pools, the research is focused on more environmentally friendly ways involving direct lithium extraction. Long-duration energy storage. The California Energy Commission has awarded Form Energy $30 million in support of its long-duration energy storage, LDES, battery. The technology is able to discharge continuously for up to 100 hours, blowing out the capability of normal batteries with four to six hour discharge cycles. The award is one of three approved by the commission. Two other related CEC awards for energy resilience are for microgrid projects on tribal lands in San Diego County and Tehama County. The five megawatt, 500 megawatt hour iron air battery is the largest to be built in California. It will be built at Pacific Gas and Electric substation in Mendocino County and is expected to be available for operation in 2025. CEC Commissioner David Hochschild called the multi-day energy storage system transformational. The iron air battery uses the principle of reversible rusting. The battery cells contain iron and air electrodes and are filled with water-based non-flammable electrolyte solutions. While discharging, the battery absorbs oxygen from the air and converts iron metal to rust. While charging, the application of an electrical current converts the rust back to iron and the battery emits oxygen. As of August 2023, California had 
6,600 megawatts of storage operating at the industry standard of four to six hours of discharge. This level is expected to reach 8,600 megawatts by year end. The California Energy Commission estimates that California will need 48,000 megawatts of energy storage and 4,000 megawatts of LDES to meet the state's goal of 100% renewable electricity by 2045. Repurposing wind turbine blades. So much creativity in this space. The benches outside the Great Lakes Science Center in Cleveland are in the form of droplet-shaped shells made of slices of spent wind turbine blades. In Ireland, Bladebridge is taking decommissioned blades and is building pedestrian bridges out of them. The port of Aalborg in Denmark uses them as bike shelters. Superuse Studios in the Netherlands uses them to craft playground equipment. Rewind is all over repurposing blades into footbridges, electrical poles, cell phone towers, streetlights, signs, noise barriers along highways, bus shelters, cattle partitions, and feed bunks, and even glamping pods. There's a nice story about the co-founders of Canvas. In 2021, the two of them considered many blade waste solutions and came up with 150 ideas for products to make from the blades. They settled on 11 outdoor accessories, including planters, picnic tables, and benches. There is some 906 gigawatts of wind capacity worldwide, expected to grow by 600 gigawatts more by 2027. As the wind industry grows, more and more blades will have to be discarded. How? Incineration and landfilling have been the fallback means of disposal. Turbine manufacturers are working on making their blades more recyclable, but many installed in 2000 are not. These will have to be incinerated, landfilled, or repurposed. Turns out that wind, bl- wind turbine blades have a lifespan of 15 to 25 years. There are now huge numbers of blades that are reaching the end of their useful lives, and this will grow. Bloom reports that despite their virtues as clean energy producers, seemingly indestructible blades often end up in garbage dumps, left to remain for years. Industry body Wind Europe estimates that there will be 25,000 metric tons of decommissioned blades per year by 2025, rising to 52,000 metric tons by 2030. The spent blades have become a contentious issue. Some Europeans are working to ban used blades from being landfilled. Vestas Wind Systems AS, the world's largest producer of wind turbines, has announced that it has found a chemical which will break down the blades and their durable epoxy resin for recycling. The process was developed by Vestas, Aarhus University, and the U.S.-based Olin Corporation. Its cost has not been disclosed. Consider the structure of a wind turbine blade. Think of a blade in a cross-section, droplet-shaped. The structure has three major parts. The aerodynamic shell is made of laminates, ultra-sturdy, fiber-reinforced plastics. Second, the spar cap is the internal web frame. And third, adhesives are used along the leading and railing edges where there are seams in the two halves of the shell. Each blade is 150 feet long on average and weighs a dozen tons. Repurposing the blade saves the energy required to make new materials. In Ireland, 
use of the blade bridge was estimated to have offset 800 kilograms of CO2 emissions that would have occurred in the production of the steel girders. And the main alternative to landfilling the spent blades is to burn them, which creates pollution. Unmet, Poland's blade bridge company, points out the features of the blades. They are lightweight, have great strength, all-weather durability, all good features for engineering support structures. Its blade bridges are designed to last a century. Sozpratowa is the small town in western Poland where the first blade bridge was installed and put in service. Standardizing EV charger plugs. Hot topic, EV charger connectors, plugs. Are there different types of plugs? When I began driving EVs in 1998, I was driving the General Motors EV1. Its original name was the Impact, but that sounded like a car crash versus something appealing. The Impact had a paddle Type 3 charger, a plug form that is now completely obsolete. To date, there have been several dominant EV charger plugs that offer different variations to accommodate single, double, and three-phase AC power, as well as DC fast charging. Type 1 is also known as the SAEJ1772, or just the J-plug. It takes single-phase power only and provides level 2 charging. Type 2 is also known as the SAEJ3068. It has 7 pins and allows for 3-phase current. CCS Combo 1 is a variant of the Type 1 charger, adding 2 more pins for DC fast charging. CCS Combo 2 is a variant of Type 2 with two extra pins to allow for DC fast charging. Chatamo is being pushed out. This plug had 10 pins. NACS. Tesla has developed its own connector and in 2022 proclaimed it to be the North American charger standard, the J3400. Good news. Coming soon is standardization for EV charger plug configurations. The new standard being developed by SAE, the Society of Automotive Engineers, is the Tesla Charger, the J3400. Given Tesla's predominance, the Society elected to support standardization around the Tesla NACS Charger, the J3400. Actually, the standardization grew from the auto industry itself. Aptera was the first to adopt the new standard. Then Ford shocked the market by announcing that it would produce cars with the J3400 by 2025. Then GM followed suit, as did many other major auto manufacturers. Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, and Scout Motors announced just days ago that it planned to use the NACS for future vehicles. All of these companies will make the J3400 their standard in their electric vehicles beginning in 2025. In the interim, they will offer adapters for the J3400 plug. Note that Tesla developed Magic Dock charging stations in Europe that had dual ports, one for CCS Combo and the other for the NACS plug. There are 10 Magic Dock stations in America now, and there are 42 planned. Tesla will likely continue to build out this dual plug capability in part to access infrastructure subsidies available from California and the U.S. government for chargers that include the CCS1 connectors. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.